So I had this question I wanted to start out this morning with, and I want you to think about it hard, and I hope you'll think about it all, all week, as some of the COVID-19 has hit hard, but it also, for some of us, has hit really healthy and made us ask questions. I want you to ask this question. What doesn't need to go back to normal? Like, what was jacked up before COVID-19, and now you've seen it, and you don't need to go back to the way it was? So I think in the coming days, we're going to see some stuff start slowly shifting back to normal. It won't be all the way back to normal. But I got this scary thought in my mind that we may forget really quickly what was so good about this season. Like, like dinners at your house with your whole family sitting around the table. Are we going to lose that again? Are they going to take that back away from us because we can't resist the speed that we were living at before? Like, like I've learned some about our finances. We, we don't have to spend as much as we were in a month. I've learned about our schedules. I, I've learned about my family. I even had to look, and I'm sure you have, as I watched the news there for weeks on end about death, and I had to, again, face death and think about the end of my life and what I want to happen in this life. So I just I want you to stew on that. What doesn't need to go back to normal? What do I need to, that's changed to continue to do? At the end of this message, I'm going to walk us through at Radius Church a little bit of our thoughts about what it's going to look like in the coming weeks. One of the things every Sunday we get up and say we can't wait to get back together. Well, that's starting to look like a reality. And so by the end of my talk with you, I'm going to explain about when we anticipating get, getting back together. But before I do that, I want to, I want to tell you a little story that I read on a uh, on uh, a website this week that I really respect. It's called Leadership Network, and, and they serve pastors across the country. And they had a pastor write about Sunday mornings, which we're all kind of excited to get back together. And he said, he said that he thought this COVID-19 season was great for the church, and here's why. He, he compared it to the game of chess. He said the best way to learn how to play chess is to learn to play without the queen. So learn how all the other parts on the board move. I don't know if you haven't played chess. It's got, it's got a variety of uh, little characters on, on the chessboard. You got, you got eight pawns. You got two rooks or castles. You got uh, two, I, I used to call them horses, but they're actually knights. You got two bishops, and you got a queen and a king. And if you don't know how the game works, the queen is the most powerful because she can move from end to end on the board. She can move all kind of angles, left or right. So she is the one who can move the most. She's the most powerful person on the board. And what, what this guy was writing, he, he was saying that the church for years has become completely dependent on Sunday morning. It's our queen. It's what we depend on, and we forget how to use all the other parts. It was, it was this great article, and it's been a great season for the church in the Midlands and in South Carolina to really assess who are we if we can't get together on Sunday mornings. I just want to tell you for Radius, and for me, I have never believed that Sunday morning is our queen. I don't think Sunday morning is the most important thing we do. I have always, and we at Radius have always thought the queen is our home. Your home, where you're sitting right now. One of the best parts about this really difficult time, as you take in these services in your home, that's exactly where we think all ministry starts. As a matter of fact, if we get together in our rooms again on Sundays 
and, and we don't actually live out the truths about Jesus in our homes, then when we get together, no matter how loud we sing, how high we raise our hands, how many hugs we give, which we won't give any when we get back together for a while, hey, that's all fake if it's not true at home. Radius homes are and always have been our go-to when we started this church, when we named it Radius. We were thinking about the neighbors in your literal neighborhood, the house next door to you, and the house across the street from you. And then, and then those folks that are in the cubicle next to you or across the bay from you on your job. And then those folks where you have hobbies or, or, or where you're at the ball field. We always thought that our Radius, our family, our home, was the ultimate strategy for the church of Jesus Christ. That hadn't changed. It's one of my favorite parts, again, of this whole season is that it's reemphasized how important that home is. I hope you've had a good chance to look at your family. I have, right? There's been more time at the table. Some of us are a little tired of looking at our families at this point, but I hope you've taken the time to assess it. What doesn't need to go back to normal? What were you depending too much on the schools for to get done with your kids? What, why is there so much tension with my wife and I in the house with so many more minutes together? How are we going to work that out? What was broken in there? How do I fix it? Because if the home isn't right, hey, this gathering we got on Sunday mornings, it isn't right. won't be right. We're not a light. Radius has never been about buildings. Though we love our buildings and we want to use them as tools. Never been about pastors. Never been about a specific guy. It's never been about Sunday mornings. It's always been about our homes and our families and their alignment around Jesus. And so I hope even today as you sit here and listen and maybe discuss this afterwards, just evaluate where your family is over these past few weeks. One of the really cool things about church because for some of you coming to church, you come from a family, nobody knows Jesus. It, the church itself begins to feel like a family, and that was by design. One of our guiding principles is that we are family. We got T-shirts that say we are family, because when you meet Jesus, there's this connection that is as deep as blood. So we call one another family, and so we hope that our church operates like family when we get together. We've gone through a the first chapter of Philippians over the last two weeks. It's been great. We've walked through it, and, and every Sunday we're reminded that we're supposed to be a family that's full of joy. You know the family in your neighborhood right now that looks healthy. You can't, you can't deny it. You watch their kids ride bikes in the neighborhood. They're normal, but they just look like they've got something else. That's what the believers in Jesus are supposed to look like. I hope it's what our homes look like. It's what we're working to with our homes. So how many times do those of us that walk with Jesus, how many times do we say his name over the course of a week in front of our family? How many times do you say his name in 24 hours? I, I got to tell you, as we read through chapter 1, in Philippians, and, and I listened to Ryan and Russell and Ross and Derek and Trey unpack Philippians. I, uh, I was convicted. I just, I just don't say Jesus enough. Uh, I read chapter 1, and I went back through, and I, I put a cross every time uh, in the Bible where either Jesus was said Christ or where it used a pronoun that represented Jesus Christ. And, 
in, in that little brief chapter, it actually refers to Jesus 22 times. This is what Paul's writing. He's writing about Jesus, and he refers to him 22 times. Five other times he refers to God or the Holy Spirit. So that's 27 times in that tiny little chapter he actually refers to God or Jesus by name. And then what was kind of shocking is 33 times he said, I, me, myself, he referred to himself. There was like this deep, intimate relationship between him and the Father and specifically between God, the Son, Jesus, that just pours off those pages. And then the cool part is he's writing to this church in Philippi, this town called Philippi. You can actually feel as, as Russell talked about, this love that Paul has for individuals in that body. And, and it's kind of this, this three-way thing where, where Paul loves this Philippian jailer that he got to lead to Christ and baptize his family. Paul loves Lydia, who he had met down uh, by, by the river when, when she was hanging out with some other ladies at a, quote, ladies' Bible study, right? This slave girl that he cast at a demon, he loves these people. You can feel it coming off the page. And it's what... It's what people were so attracted to at the church at Philippi in the early church. It's still what people in Lexington, over in Irmo, out in Saluda, it's still what people are attracted to. Our love for one another in Christ. It's it kinda, kind of embarrassing to say. It seems too simple. So how many times do you say the name Jesus in a 24-hour period? When's the last time outside of prayer You've named Jesus at your dinner table just in conversation. As I studied my life, I knew I had work to do. Philippians chapter 2 starts like this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Kind of a, kind of a cool, cool beginning to the chapter. When Paul looks at the Philippians, and he, he makes this really simple statement. I can't, if you're a 12-year-old boy, I can still remember being 12. is one of the great years of my life when I really started locking in following Jesus. And he says to you, as you sit in your home with your family, the writer of this book says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ. What does that mean? Like, like, do you feel better because you belong to Christ? Because he's saying, hey, if you do, if you feel better because you belong to Christ, which you should, then you probably ought to love your little brother better this week. You probably ought to have a little time for him because that's what Christ does. Any comfort in his love. Hey, if you're a 37-year-old lady married with three kids and you're at the house and it's been a crazy season and you're trying to figure out how to pull this thing off with all the moving parts in your home. He says, is there any comfort from his love? If there is, then in our homes we work. We don't do it perfectly. We sure don't do it perfectly at my house. But then you're working to figure out how to, how to in this season, love uh, the, the little ones running around the house and, 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 and that fellow over there that doesn't always follow all the instructions, especially with him in here 24 hours a day. Any fellowship together in the spirit, if you're encouraged by any 
fellowship together in the spirit. If you're a 19-year-old young lady and you're home from college, you're back at the house, and there's different rules there than when you're away at college. But while you're away at college, you began some lights began to come on at Campus Crusade or Fellowship of Christian Athletes or, or, or a, a local church there. And now you're at home and you're trying to figure out how to be like Christ. Like, so if there's any fellowship together in the spirit, then it's supposed to look different now by the way you relate to your parents or your siblings, or your hearts tender and compassionate. I couldn't help but put that on us 42-year-old men. I, I wish I was 42. I'm 52. 52-year-old men. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Because one of the things that starts to happen with older men is a lot of times we become grumpy. And the last thing anybody would say about us is that we're tender and compassionate. And he says, he says there's this expectation that if our hearts are tender and compassionate, then it looks like Christ has transformed you. And it's supposed to change the way you operate in your home. And I, honestly, as I've evaluated my life, there's been seasons where I've been really tender and compassionate beyond what I ever thought I could be. But then there's these other seasons where I get some distance between me and the Lord and I don't know how to love Cheryl. I don't. It's difficult for me to say the nice things that actually cross my mind. I don't know what's causing that. It's frustrating. And if you're a 52-year-old man and you're sitting there, listen, it doesn't matter whether, where you are, whether you're single at this point, whether you're, you're on a second marriage, or if you're like me. I've been with my wife for 30 years, and, and I've got a bunch of kids running out. I need to have some capacity to love. And evidently, if I've been transformed by Jesus, that's an anticipation. And so he's saying, if that's the case, you've been transformed by Jesus, then the people around you ought to benefit. You're supposed to ooze love on the folks around you. He says to, to the people in Philippi, as he grabs this, this phrase we throw, we are family, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. So his expectation is when people have been transformed by Jesus, it changes how you interact with others. Jesus himself told us that we, they would know we're his disciples by our love for one another. Evidently, in a family, when we sit around a dinner table or the Lord's Supper table, there's supposed to be joy. It's supposed to be one of the greatest places to be because we know how to love. Oh, yeah, you come to my table every once in a while, there's an argument. Nothing goes perfect there. But, man, it's one of my favorite places on earth. Check out these other verses. Some of these, some of these are some of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Just, just these two lines set up a, a great hymn that the early church sung. In NLT, it says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out, for, for, out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Another translation starts with this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So he's saying, don't go all in for yourself. As a matter of fact, he's stating to us that to look like Jesus, he'll explain that in a minute, is to be humble. What, what, is, what is humility? I don't know about you, but oftentimes to me, humility feels like weakness. Sometimes when I've seen humility, it seems like something people are putting on, but they don't really believe, so it's false humility. Uh, he says, 
do nothing from selfish ambition. So I was, I was wrestling, it was, what does that mean? So, so he's saying that I'm not supposed to be motivated by what I want. And I, I, maybe a great def- definition of humility is to be ambitious for others. So I'm actually supposed to dream for ev- others. What about the 12-year-old boy we talked about a little bit earlier that's dreaming for a seven-year-old little brother? Not only is he doing some stuff for himself and, you know, getting ready for football season, but he's throwing the ball to baby brother to teach him that that's just a different attitude. He's got, got the seven-year-old on his mind instead of himself. It happens in our homes with husbands and wives. It's really difficult under pressure to think more about Cheryl than myself, but to be ambitious for her. It changes my language. It changes my actions. Uh, It really changes my attitude, and the truth is, when I give over to it, I'm happier. (laughs) I love that line in verse 4. He says, don't look out only for your own interest. So so there's a possibility of a win-win when you're a servant to your spouse or to your kids or to your neighbors or even to folks in our community that you don't know. Potentially, it can be a win-win when you're ambitious for others. You look like Jesus. You're humble. (laughs) Tony Evans writes it like this. Servants ask, Is what I'm about to do or say going to make things better or worse? Is what I'm about to do or say going to make things better or worse? And that doesn't always mean that I I olay and I'm passive and let everybody else do what they want to do. In my house early in the COVID thing, I got three sons at the house, and I noticed that uh, we were getting a little lazier by the day. So one day I pulled out the marker board and I put in the 40-hour work week for all people in the Reeves family. And you had to report how you worked 40 hours in the week even though we couldn't get out and about. I'm going to tell you what, that, that didn't seem like the nicest thing to do, but it was a great service to my family. It was hard to do because I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to ask them to do something they didn't want to do. But once they started working, well, the cool part was you're proud by the end of the day. There's something to celebrate at the end of the day. Everybody's happier because they're moving and accomplishing stuff. Sometimes serving isn't just about being sweet. It's about looking out for others. It's about being ambitious for others. So then Apostle Paul in verse 5 says, hey, I want you to watch some tape, right? This is what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So he goes, let me me pull out the tape from 2,000 years ago, and I want you to watch it. And he goes, that is what a servant looks like, Jesus Christ. There's a a show on ESPN right now. A lot of it's about Michael Jordan. It's called The Last Dance, so it's about a specific Chicago Bulls team, and it walks through the characters, and MJ is the, he's, you know, he's the star. So you watch the show, and if you've got a son or a daughter plays basketball, you can have them watch it, and here's what they probably can't reproduce. They they can't be 6'6". I'm absolutely positive they can't jump as high as Michael Jordan Their hands aren't going to be as big. They're going to have all kind of, hopefully they won't have the language that he has based on the few shows I've seen. They're not going to have all this stuff, but they could have the same attitude. They could have that same competitive attitude. They could get the most out of whatever they got. If it's 5'8", 150, they could get the most out of it. They could go as hard as they possibly could. It's this really cool picture as Paul looks at us, the church, and he says, hey, your king, Jesus, This is how he lives, and this is what he thinks a great Christian looks like. He's humble. He's ambitious for others. Let me read it to you. 
in the early church, verse 6 through 12, this was a hymn they sung. Many folks think, some folks think it's a creed. It reads like this, though he was God, speaking about Jesus, he did not think equality of God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. That all sound accurate to you? <laughs> if you want to do a little exercise, print it out on a piece of paper. It's what I did. And I've gone through and every time it uses a pronoun for Jesus, I just capitalize it. You're talking about God. Though he was God. It's a crazy statement. I don't know if you remember the definition of God, but you start by going through his attributes. So Jesus was God. We've heard stories of him walking on this planet. That means he was the creator. Crazy, he was born, right? Uh, that means he was eternal, which means he was there before his birth. Uh, omniscient, which means he knows everything. Omnipresent, present, which means he is everywhere, right? Omnipotent, which means he has all power, but he was in a manger. How does all this, holy, without sin, and as Hebrews records, he never sinned as a man. How does all this work together? Though he was God, he was fully God, he was the son of God, a part of the Trinity. He did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. There's a, there's Tons of theology in here. For those of y'all that are hoping we can get to it, I'll have time. But there's, there's this beautiful picture of the great God of the universe humbling himself. To be a man, it is overwhelming to read. So if you read this passage, if you ever have somebody tell you that Jesus is not God, that's heresy. They're going down a path that is unacceptable that separates them from the faith of Christianity. Jesus is all God. But as you read the passage, he's also all man. If you want to show off to your friends, we call that the hypostatic union. It's a mystery. We put a big word on it, which actually helps us capture the mystery. Not exactly sure how that all works out, right? He's all God and he's all man in the man Jesus. And it is, it's beyond us. But it's beautiful in this passage the Apostle Paul is taking it and he's dropping it in what he's teaching the Philippians and he's reminding you that our king led humbly, that he was others ambitious. His ambition led him all the way to the cross, right? First, he laid down these amazing attributes of God. It, the, the, the words are, it's impossible for the uh, interpreters to get the words right, to, to capture that idea that he, the NLT says he gave up his divine privileges, but then he works his way, not only being born in a major as a poor baby boy in Israel, but all the way to the cross on a mission ambitious for you because he wanted you to know his father. He wanted you to experience ultimate love. Verse 9, therefore God elevated him to a place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's this crazy like move. When, when you're singing the hymn, you start with God humbling himself to be a man and then by the end, God the Father elevating the humble Jesus right, to his proper status above all others. 
elevated above all others to the point where everybody, whether they want to or not, they're bowing down and their tongues are declaring and declaring that he's the Lord. He's sovereign. I uh, read this passage and I can't, can't help but reflect back on, uh, on the metaphor of the chess game. And I think of that, that king that sits back at the back of the chessboard. He can only move one little space at a time, right? He seems almost insignificant except for the whole game is about him. <laughs> when I think of Jesus as king, in many ways, as he came to be a man, he, it's the limitations of him, of who he was as the omnipotent God to the point where he could just move one little space at a time. It almost lulled man to sleep to think they could kill him. You remember when they came to arrest him, to take him to the cross? He just shows his glory just a little bit, and everybody falls down. They can't stand in front of his glory, and then, then all these soldiers get back up on their feet and arrest him and take him away. It's a freak show that he would take that glory and hide it because he was on a mission, on a mission ambitious for you. I hope you know who you are. It's a question I have to ask myself. Do I know who I am? Because Jesus knew so much about who he was, that he was God, that he was capable of serving because he wasn't insecure. He was, he was confident about it. He was able to give to others because he knew who he is. Who are you? I'll tell you who I am. I'm one of those eight pawns. I can move forward one block on the chessboard at a time. That's about all I can get done. But when I'm right... I move forward at one step in submission to the king back at the back because I want to honor and glorify him. Every once in a while, I'll move two spaces at a time, and it just seems like a highlight of my whole life. And then a crazy day might happen where I get to move diagonally and get a win for the king, and I can hear him clapping back in the background. And I hope that if he allows, at some point on my way across this life of chess, <laughs> I... Uh, we either get to give up my life for him because I, I was protecting his cause or protecting somebody else on the board. Or perhaps I'll get to make it all the way to the end of the board and over the course of a lifetime reproduce and give somebody else a chance to represent my king. When you read this passage, you just can't get away from the idea that the one that we follow, the king of all, the king of kings, and the way he works is through humility. It's what he expects from us. And even as you sit at your home today, I hope that you're identifying in your head, even in my own house, am I ambitious for these other people in the circle at the house? Am I ambitious for that neighbor over there and that neighbor over there? Do I want the best for my cubicle mate or the teacher down the hall or the other kid on my team? That's what it looks like to be like Jesus. That's why Paul says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Christ, he, he's constantly talking about the Savior, hoping to impress upon the Philippians, the believers in Philippi, to be like the one he loves the most. So what doesn't need to go back to normal? As I say that, uh, I'm excited for us to get back together. So uh, in the coming days, we're putting together a plan to be able to do that. 
And when we get back together, hopefully our families, we're going to continue to work to have our families in a healthy spot to get back in a room and worship and, and sing out Jesus' name together. So here's our plan. Everybody write this down. Next week is Mother's Day. So dads, kids in the house, you need to have a plan, right? So you could do breakfast in bed, right? You could do that. You can go ahead. I know it's a week in advance and think about a gift for your mom, like maybe write out a card. Moms love sweet cards based on my limited experience. You could already have a plan together, like getting takeout, like, like what you're going to do for Mother's Day, because next week we're going to do the same thing. We got a couple little treats for you on Mother's Day, but we're going to put it together on video, and we're going to uh, uh, broadcast it in the homes like we have every week. And the following Sunday, well, I got some good news for, for some of you. Some of you, this will be a little scary, but we're going to get back together. So May 17th at all five of the Radius ca- campuses, based on what the governor said in the last few days, we feel comfortable pulling our churches back into their facilities. It will uh, be a little different than it's been in the past. The governor has asked, uh, I, I, we participated in a call with a number of pastors. He's, asked, he's, he's given us permission to get back together. As a matter of fact, he said he never took that permission away. It just seemed responsible for us not to meet. And now it seems uh, like it's okay for us to get back together as long as we social distance. So let me just tell you, when you come back on the 17th, your kids are going to sit with you, so you might want to work on this a little bit before you get back in here. Uh, we're going to have to social distance. For, so for some of y'all that are huggers, if you come back in the room and say, I don't care, I'm hugging, we're going to give you this, and we're probably not going to be real sweet about it. We're going to have to tell you where to sit. So we'll be a little bossy, and we're going to expect, like, long-distance elbow bumps instead of hugs and handshakes. We're going to work really hard to social distance and do this in a completely healthy way. And at the same time, glorify the one I've been talking about this whole, this whole half hour. The plan is for, for, for most of the churches to get together between at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. So the churches with facilities, that's the route we're going. We're working on solutions for Rocky Creek and Irmo, but uh, out in Saluda, over at uh, White Knoll, and here at Lexington, there will be three services and we've got them set up where they work. What you could really do to help me is there's a, there's a survey that's going to flash up on your screen. It's high tech. So you got to take a little picture of it. It's got like five questions. It'll take you like 30 seconds. If you fill it out, it could help us come up with a really solid plan on how we're going to carry that Sunday out on the 17th. For some of you, that's really uncomfortable, which is absolutely fine. So this same broadcast will be available on the 17th. You can watch it at your home with your family, or, or you can do a watch party, invite a few neighbors over. If you feel a little bit more comfortable with that, all, all that's cool. If you feel like you need to wear a mask or gloves when you show up, that's perfectly acceptable. We'll continue to social distance on the stage. We're going to take this thing really seriously and slow, but we are excited to get back together. I'll remind you as I close. Sunday morning ain't never been our queen. Your home is our queen. Our anticipation has always been that through your home will impact your community and you'll be connected to the church. It's, uh, it's really the way we've always wanted to be. I believe it's the way that the scriptures teach and uh, look forward to living it out with you. Let me pray. Jesus, we, uh, we worship you. We worship your name. We call you king. It's shocking to see your humility. We love you. Lord, as we worship you, there's a little excitement in us that we could actually be back in rooms together and worship together as the family of God. 
So we look forward to that. Help us do that wisely. Help us do that and respect others in our community and respect uh, each other as we get together in, in our variety of spots here in, in just two weeks. Thank you for our moms, Lord. We look forward to celebrating them next week. Listen to us as we worship. We pray in Jesus' name.